Uh, sometimes I think the, um, the gospel stories read like a children's play, like we just saw, where, um, you know, God is the producer and the angels like Gabriel are the directors who kind of say, hey, come over here and go over there. And the characters in the story, they are not under any obligation to follow the director's lead. Right. Uh, it's great to see our kiddos um, living out, acting out, sharing the story of Jesus with all of us. Um, if you're visiting tonight, sometimes we do things a little differently. We call this a conversation because it is a conversation. It's a little more interactive. And so when I ask a question, it is not rhetorical. Sometimes it's rhetorical. And if you talk, I'll let you know if it was a rhetorical one. But this question is not rhetorical. I would love to hear from some of you. What is one of your favorite parts of the Christmas story and why? What's one of your favorite parts of the Christmas story and why? Important clarification. And actually, the movie title is A Christmas Story, not The Christmas Story. So, favorite part of The Christmas Story, not the pantyhose stocking like light, right? Like the birth of Jesus. Yes, the birth of Jesus story. So, Chris, share us. What's one of your favorite parts? Okay. And why? The idea of um, foreigners coming into a different land who are who are somewhat or who, who whatever sense are, have some sort of nobility or standing yeah. going to a foreign land and acknowledging going to a manger and acknowledging that this this child is. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I love that those guys are basically they're like astrologists. You know, they're studying the stars and their horoscope basically tells them that a king has been born. And so God reveals himself through some some very unexpected out of the box kind of ways to a handful of these magi, these wise men. Yeah, that's awesome. Who else? What's a favorite part? Marilyn? Well, I like the stories, the songs. At first, I was like to say, Oh, Holy Night. Like, you Songs can bring the story to life and sometimes make social statements like a holy night in its day. Yeah. One more. Who else? 
Daryl, why don't you go? Since we got some representation from the Holland family. <laughs> Where the five, the five ladies, yes, you know, the, the, that whole concept, uh, the, the, the birth of Christ, this culmination is also bringing us in mind that everybody can be involved in this thing, like what the background is from. That's right. How bad a check of the background That's right. Yeah, that number one, Jesus is associated with women, is in his culture and day is pretty astounding um, to begin with, but also that these were. Kind of, you know, some somewhat seedy characters that Jesus is basically descended from that says something about who Jesus chooses to hang out with and welcome into his kingdom. Yeah, that's great. Um, interestingly, the birth stories in the New Testament, I mean, maybe they're one or two percent of the content of the whole New Testament. And we basically got four chapters out of all the New, Tes- New Testament where the birth of Jesus is talked about. So it's, it's relatively insignificant when you look at just the scope of the New Testament. Man, that seems kind of depressing on Christmas, doesn't it? Yeah, Because Christmas is this huge cultural deal. We've built this whole cultural deal around the birth of Jesus. And while the birth of Jesus may, may have relatively small mention in the New Testament, that's certainly not to say that it's not significant. I mean, the, the, the birth of the Messiah is not insignificant. But it's really interesting to see the way the gospel writers um, use the birth of Jesus to tell a story to affirm something about who Jesus is. Uh, what's more... So Matthew and Luke, they're the only ones that tell the birth story of Jesus. It's interesting that they tell the birth story of Jesus in distinctly different ways. I encourage you, this week during Christmas, read both of those back to back and just try to compare and contrast. If you're like me, it will get you really curious. And you will go on this week-long research adventure where you try to figure out all of the potential conflicts and comparisons that are going on. Because these are two very different Birth accounts. I mean, it's almost as if these gospel writers have favorite parts of the birth story of Jesus that they're trying to share toward a particular end to to describe and paint a picture about who Jesus is based on who their audience is, what their purpose is, what their calling is to communicate truth about Jesus. So tonight we are going to look at this story the way that Luke tells it, because that is our appointed text in the lectionary for Christmas this year. And I want you to keep this question a non-rhetorical question. Eventually it will function in silence for quite some time. But I'm going to raise this question again. I want you to be thinking about this. What is Luke trying to say about Jesus in the way he tells the birth story? So I'd invite you to turn in your phone or your Bible to Luke chapter 2. And if you've got a page number before I do up here, 701. Thank you, I needed that. It was going to take a lot longer if I didn't have it. We're going to read verses 1 through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Try to say that three times. 
and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. The word of the Lord. So, what is Luke trying to say about Jesus in the way he tells this first story? Around the turn of the century, the Roman emperor Caesar Augustus issued a decree for a census. Time to count everybody that was in their land. In other words, it was a tax day. The reason you took a census was so you could count the number of people and you could basically inventory what, what they owned so you would know how much to collect in taxes. So this was tax day in the Roman emperor. The, this very census, the Quirinius census, stirred up such trouble that a revolt broke out in the Jewish people. It was led by a guy named Judas of Galilee. He led this revolt because as a good Jewish man, for him to pay taxes to some Roman emperor was basically to give allegiance to someone other than God. One of the the mantras of these revolt movements was no king but God. And Luke most certainly knows about this revolt because he refers to it in the book of Acts, which he writes, which is part two of the gospel of Luke. It's this very census that requires Joseph and Mary to go to Bethlehem in Judea. And Luke is careful to state that it's the town of David, as in King David, and that Joseph is a descendant of David. So this child is being born into a king's family. There is this well-known prophecy uh, in Micah about Bethlehem. And the Messiah. 
in the line of David who would one day lead Israel. And this is how it goes. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, and then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. So that's a, a prophecy about this figure, this Messiah figure born in Bethlehem in all places. And here's Luke telling the story, making sure to mention that this child is born in Bethlehem. Now, because Joseph had very likely had relatives in Bethlehem, they probably tried to stay with some of them. And because everybody's coming to town for the census, all the room is full up. And so they are relegated to what would have been a stable built beneath the bottom level uh, of the, the main level of a house in Bethlehem. So imagine all of the guest rooms and the house proper is up above and below is this stable area, basically where all the livestock hang out. So their family didn't have room for them in this house up here. They didn't have a guest room. And so they said, that's okay. We'll just stay down below with the livestock. And it's there that Mary has this baby in this filth, filthy, you know, um, you know what ridden stable in the bottom of the house. And they lay this child in a manger, a feed trough for the animals. It's not like a wealthy or a powerful person would have birth. I mean, certainly they would have a much better place to do it. No, it was like a poor person would without any other options. You just have the baby where you can have the baby. Luke chapter 1 reveals that Mary was a virgin when Jesus was conceived. Did you know that the only other stories at that time about virgin conception were not Jewish, but rather pagan? In fact, the most well-known conception story from a virgin was about none other than Caesar Augustus. The very emperor mentioned at the beginning of this text. They said, they made this story to say that he was born of a virgin to show his divine status as an emperor. Isn't that interesting? And then there's the shepherds. An angel of the Lord appears to shepherds of all people to announce to them the Messiah and Lord. The king of the world has been born in a feed trough. Now, shepherds are an interesting pick uh, for people to get the first news about the coming of the Messiah. First, because shepherds represented the peasant class, the poorest of the poor. And second, second shepherds had a pretty bad reputation. Uh, in, the land in Judea was really dry, and so if you owned sheep, you'd basically have to send the sheep wherever they could find water and vegetation, which meant you could be going all over the countryside just to make sure that your sheep had the nourishment they needed. And so if you owned sheep, if you had options, instead of shepherding those sheep yourselves, you would hire some mercenary shepherds, if you will. 
you would hire some shepherds, you would outsource the shepherding work to some nomadic dudes who are willing to live outside and be with the sheep basically all around all around the year until it was time to you know, harvest the wool and the milk and sell them for sacrifices and stuff like that. And so naturally, you've got, you've got this rough group of folks who are basically contractors who are shepherding in the fields. And there were these, there was this, culturally, there were stories that circulated around that basically if a, if a shepherd offered to sell you wool or milk or a baby sheep, uh, you shouldn't buy it because it was probably stolen. They were probably trying to pick off part of the, the, the herd that they were shepherding and steal from their master who owned the sheep. And so word on the street was don't buy anything because this is probably stolen goods. In fact, shepherds weren't allowed to fulfill a judicial office or even be admitted in court as witnesses because they were found not to be trustworthy people. A Jewish midrash on Psalm 23 from the time reads, There is no more disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd. Of all the people to hear the news that Jesus was Messiah first, it was the shepherds. Of all the people to be the first evangelists and spread the word about Jesus the Messiah, it was the same shepherds. Isn't that interesting? Okay, now, here's our question. What is Luke trying to say about Jesus through the way he tells this birth story? Keep in mind the background going on about the emperor and the shepherds. What what is Luke trying to do with this? Any thoughts or ideas? There's only one right answer. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Ron, what you got? I, I, think, I think one of the impressions I get was this was a lot bigger deal in heaven than it was on earth. There's thousands of people out there that come to the countryside and singing and they're celebrating. It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. They've been waiting forever mm-hmm. for God to reveal his plan as far as the science is concerned. And now they finally get to see it. Yeah. But the shepherds. Yeah, yeah, it is amazing that, you know, this blinding light that has to emerge in the middle of the countryside as the shepherds are revealed this glory from this host of angels. There is a there's a major party going on in the unseen realms for all of these, you know, inconspicuous kind of rumblings on the earth side of things. What seems really lowly and humble is actually this cosmic party. Yeah. But the other thing that just jumps out to me is, is when you talk about the class of the shepherds, you read throughout the rest of the book too, is that there seems to be a, a, a focus on the downcast, the downtrodden, the people that nobody wants to have anything to do with. These are the people that are important yeah. in the story. That's right. Right on, man. That that is uh, that's huge. That that of all the people, I mean, Mary has to be a part of that too. She's this teenage, pregnant girl who was basically pregnant by someone other than her husband. There are all kinds of rumors that have to be swirling about about you know about her. And then you add the shepherds in. There's obviously God has some 
um, great deep love for those who are on the margins, who are outcasts, who are marginalized. Um, so much so that the place that he starts sharing the good news that he's the king is with those very people. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. Do you think that the Jewish people were waiting for a king, someone who was, you know, a savior and a diet? And it's just funny because God's like, no, he's going to be born in a bean trough. No, it's going to be some shepherd. And then you just think that's probably what they're going to just amazing. I don't know. It's like he just does things so opposite. He just doesn't. It seems like in Luke's telling of this story that he is challenging the powers of the day, um, especially the biggest one, the, the Roman Empire, Caesar Augustus. Uh, the birth of Jesus is not some spiritual nicety. It is a political statement about who is in charge of the world. Jesus, the angels say, is the king of the whole world. Jesus is the king, not just of Israel, but the whole cosmos. He's superior to everyone, especially Caesar Augustus. And further, it's not like Jesus is exactly like Caesar, just more powerful. As Sarah was saying, it's that he uses his power in a drastically different way. He identifies with the poor and the oppressed, with pregnant teenage girls and outcast shepherds. In his kingdom, the first are last and the last are first. If you read the whole gospel, as Daryl was saying, you'll see that Luke in these birth stories is introducing the theme that runs throughout his entire gospel. And that is number one, Jesus is the king of the whole world, not just of Israel, but everybody, including us. And number two, that Jesus draws particularly near to the lost and the least, to the oppressed and the powerless. How does this understanding of the Christmas story compare with popular cultural versions that are circulating around this holiday season? I have to say, I love yeah. um, to go to uh, Catholic churches, especially in Europe, and because you know, they're so beautiful and um, ornate, you know, and, and all that. And one picture that all strikes me every time is the picture of Mary, you know, and Jesus sitting in the in the lap. And it's always, you know, they wear this expensive clothes and now she wears a crown and stuff and holding it, what you call it, the scepter, you know. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yes, like a spiritual theme is how it should be, but that's not how it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and that. Um, you know, that the way God works, you know, he, he does, he's not here, like, to claim his power, to show his greatness, to show his wealth, or, you know, all of those status symbols that we're used to. You know, he's here to show his nature of love yes. and compassion and caring. And all of that, you know, glimmer and 
I mean, it's, it's not who God is, and yeah. it's not what the story is about. And so I think it's, it's a perfect reminder for me. Yeah. Yeah, in, in Christmas we celebrate that Jesus is the King of the world, that God in Jesus rules over all creation, and that this King comes not in grandiose displays of power, but in meekness, in humility, in peace, in goodwill to all humanity. What kind of responses does this story invite from us? He can come for me. Yeah. Amen. What else? I think the one thing just jumps out of here constantly is, you know, no peace on earth. It keeps on being, and yet, that's not what our nature wants. We want to show control. We want to show power. Um, the only form of power that you see Jesus where it comes to military power or anything, the only form of power that Jesus shows this cross, the execution power of Rome, and instead of being one who's building the cross, he's one who's nailed on the cross. Yep. Uh, and instead of one building the sword, he's one who's put the stinking sword up. That's not the way we operate. Yep. And in our country, and in all countries, this idea of power must be exercised. That's right. We, we have to come away from the Christmas story resolved to be peacemakers, because... If Jesus is the King of the world and He is the Prince of Peace, then if we're following Him, we've got to be people of peace ourselves. Yeah. Amen. One more. Yeah. I don't know. I was <clears throat> struck by all the people that just weren't aware that this was going on. Right? The big angels up out of the sky, and only the shepherds saw it and came. And I don't know, all, all of the, you know, we, we talk about how this was targeted at the poor and, and, and everything, but, like, they're, they're also the only ones, it's not that it was hidden from everybody else, it's just that they're the only ones that were paying attention and thought it would show up. <laughs> yeah. And so it just makes me wonder, you know, makes me, I guess the, the response to the invitation is, like, to try to pay more attention to what God's doing right now, mm. so that I'm not oblivious to mm-hmm. something. Yeah, there's this moment in the text after Jesus or after the, the, ho- the host of angels show up in verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, there's this kind of pause. We're like, OK, what are they going to do with what they've just seen? And they choose to explore it. They choose to go and find this child and Joseph and Mary, and they choose to spread the world. There is this this sense of paying attention and um, and even exploring what you find when you do pay attention. And the shepherds of all people kind of model that for us. 
Absolutely. And I think if, if we do back on that, I think it's interesting that when they launched back to parents and asked about the king, his advisors tell them, oh, he's supposed to be, I mean, they tell him exactly, he's supposed to be in Bethlehem, you know, he's supposed to be from a poor family, but you don't see them crowding to Bethlehem. No, because it was a threat to their power base. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we, uh, we declare... Uh, that Jesus is the King of the world. As followers of Jesus, we declare that, that we live in the unshakable kingdom of God and the kingdom is not in trouble and the kingdom that we live in is one of peace and humility and love and goodwill for all. Father, please um, work in our hearts to be ambassadors of this good news, to be like the shepherds who, who take it in and see a vision of your glory and go and tell everybody um, about it. Help us to share these great tidings. And in this Christmas season, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we acknowledge that you have appointed him the Messiah, the Lord, the King of the earth. And we, we submit to his rule over us.